0: G, 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 take me
1: away. G, 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 take me today.
0: welcome to episode 25 yeah this is the first episode where we went mobile the first episode not recorded right here from where i speak in the basement in a building that's been under construction that's been really annoying so it was a great time to go mobile we threw some mics in a bag Matt and I went over to musician, comic book artist, Jeffrey Lewis's place in the East Village, New York. Jeffrey Lewis, he's toured all over the world, played in Russia and Vietnam and all kinds of places, probably played in your town, probably played in your living room. Ah, man, being in someone else's apartment, I just forgot to hit record. I started the conversation and after my first question, Jeffrey's talking, and uh, I looked over, and I'm like, oh, man, I never hit record. So I pressed the button, and it started recording like it's supposed to. So I I missed the first question, and then I thought it'd be slick and try to ask it again subtly, thinking I could maybe paste it in later, but that's too much, and uh, this is how it came out. But my first question was... How come every time I've seen you over the past 7 to 10 years, whatever it's been, you always have some new, interesting, pretty girl with you? Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We talk about other stuff as well, don't worry. But if you hear me repeat that question, I I wasn't having a stroke, okay? I was trying to be slick. But today is a different day, and I think I'm going to let it be as it was. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation with me, Matt Kaplan, and Jeffrey Lewis.
2: Whatever it is. Uh, they're real goat. You know, they're not shy types who wait for somebody to come to them. Uh, it's just a sort of willingness to get rejected. You don't take it personally. You just, you know, you flirt with everybody, and you, you, and, you know, if only one time out of 10 leads to something, that's just you don't feel rejected the other times because it's just part of your lifestyle. But I, why I, I'm not a, what am I giving dating advice here? I'm yeah. The well, worst you, person
0: to you, give dating <laughs> you have a chance here to speak for uh, all the lonely losers out there, as you say, because you do find these sexy, quirky, artsy women.
2: Well, uh, that, that's, uh, it i I've never, ever been put in that context or been uh, certainly never been interviewed from that angle. Um, I, so I'm, this is great. I don't have to answer all the usual questions about what is anti folk. Well, we don't it's want brand yeah. new kind of interview. Jeffrey, how did you become such a popular, charismatic uh, lady killer? I've never been asked these yeah, questions.
0: Yeah, do you have any advice? How do you meet these beautiful, uh, artsy girls?
2: Um, I make comic books and play music, I guess. Uh, it certainly is not my looks. It's not even my beautiful singing voice. It's. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's 8 million people in New York City and maybe 4 million of them are of a gender that you might be interested in. Maybe all 8 million are of a gender you might be interested in. Um, so, so you
0: recommend bisexuality just to up the odds? Uh, probably.
2: And just, you know, getting stuff out there. But that's probably a lame, I always felt kind of lame about that. It's still, what I, it's still what I've always done. And here I am as a 40-year-old. I don't think I would have any better social chances if, You know, if my girlfriend left me and I had to, you know, re-enter the single world tomorrow, I don't think I'd be any better at going and chatting people up now. Well, what do you feel lame about? Uh, You know, it seems like you should be able as a mature, confident person to go out and feel like you can meet people and find people to date without having to be like impress them by showing them my comic book or you know, having them see my band play, but I I haven't I don't feel like there's anything particularly impressive about me as a conversationalist or as a, you know, any kind of magnetic, attractive person that would just walk up to somebody and have them. Why would somebody be interested in me? There's no reason at all. The only thing that's interesting about me is like the stuff that I do. So that, you know, that's just my own low self esteem talking. But
0: that is because I'm disagreeing with every word you're saying.
2: It's that low self esteem that's got me where I am
0: today. (laughs) So why why knock it? Well, so the problem is, is that uh, women are falling in love with the artist, and don't you want women to fall in love with the person?
2: You know, I've always had the opposite feeling about that. People say, uh, "You know, don't." Uh, I mean, I would sort of rather have somebody. Well, I, I don't know. It could, it could go either way. I, why would somebody? Why would somebody be in love with me, or be attracted to me, or have an interest in? you know, making me part of their lives without the stuff that I do. I mean, you could just find any random person. If uh, if it's not based on how somebody looks, then people say like, oh, well, you know, true beauty is inside. Well, but then doesn't that mean that we're all beautiful inside if you look deep enough? So then what's the difference? Then doesn't it make
0: it completely arbitrary? Well, I think that the beauty is the fact that you're even thinking like this. Well you're having these introspective thoughts and a lot of people don't have those.
2: Well, what am I going to do? Walk up to some lady at a bar and start telling her introspective thoughts and hope that she gets attracted to my way of thinking introspective thoughts? The way that I do that is to put it all into rhyme and strum a couple chords behind it. And then somebody might say, oh, this guy has introspective thoughts. Let me go see if, uh, you know, maybe he'll sell me a comic book.
1: Do you, has there ever been cases when a woman assumes you are that person? Because even though you are the creator of your art, your music. It's not exactly who you are. And do people, specifically women, make those claims that this is the person you are and those assumptions?
2: Well, you know, any gender or anybody of, you know, male, female, young, old, um, It, I think you get a perception, especially somebody who's making art Uh, music or whatever it is uh, that's not entirely fictional because I do some stuff that's fiction and some stuff that's nonfiction, some stuff that's autobiographical, Mm -hmm. some stuff that's political. Um, So there, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a, you would be more likely to get a perception of who I am from my art than you would necessarily get from, uh you know what would you, if you look at a i don't know a, a a picasso or you or if you listen to a musician like who's just making songs that aren't really yeah some, somebody who's abstract or something you know i don't know maybe cool jackson. keith the or jackson or maybe, pollock of music right right i mean Marisbo or so we,
0: are uh, you saying that there is not much separation between the person the and the artist
2: uh I'm saying that there's a well, that there could at least very well be a perception that there isn't. There always is some difference between the artist and the person because making the art is like sort of translating into an understandable language what's inside a person. So it's not the exact inner person. And a lot of times I do feel like people are disappointed when they meet me because they have an image of what I should be like or what I am. I mean, and I'm a lot more accessible. To people than somebody who would who's actually famous because I'm the one who's still right there at the merchandise table after a gig talking to people. I'm the one who's you know in touch with the promoter trying to book a show. You're very hands on with your fans. Yeah, I mean, not that uh, there's any real demand for me. Not to you know, it's not like there's a limo out the back waiting to whisk me away. I'm just standing there.
0: Uh, <laughs> when I said hands on so, with your fans, that wasn't like a dig at you sleeping with your female fans.
2: No, although I um. Um, I've got comic books related to people's misperceptions of of all of that. Uh, And I want to do more of that sort of thing because I feel like there's a lot of misperceptions out there. I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact, this is a slight side topic, but um, people's ideas of what rock and roll as a job is, if you're a career musician or if you're making your living or if you're just going on tour in any capacity uh, even just as a for fun, or as a hobby, or as part of how you make your living, people's perceptions of what that is are based on the only cultural representations of that that most people know, and that's stuff that's very out of date. I mean, stuff like the song remains the same, or Spinal Tap, or... The the rock star cliche, you mean? Yeah, party like a rock star. Well, what does that mean? That means you can't party because you got to load your gear out the back, and you can't drink because you got to drive to the house where you're staying, and you can't, you know... (laughs) And you got to wake up in the morning
0: and drive some more. And then you got to load the gear in and set up the merchandise table. Isn't that a harsh reality of, uh, for people that put you up on tour? They think that you're going to party with them all night. And you're like, oh, I just really would like a quiet room to sleep in because I have to do this again tomorrow. Exactly. So um, that perception that like the life of the
2: musician is this very hedonistic thing where you're hooking up with people and you're just you know getting drunk and doing drugs and having fun. Uh, You know, that, I think, is based on a a sort of outdated representation and culture that I don't know of any movie or TV show, maybe it exists, that depicts the life of the artist, uh, of the musician.
0: In current day.
2: Yeah, in the current day. It could be. There's a lot of excitement and adventure that happens when, you know, a band books a tour, goes on a tour, drives themselves around, fixes up their own car, whatever it is. Um, That's a whole... There's a, that's a whole aesthetic and a huge story to tell culturally, but nobody has told that story in a way that redefines the musician for the public to catch up to what the musician's life actually has been for 10, 20, maybe even 30 years now for the majority of musicians. So this idea that when I am when I go on tour, I'm running around hooking up with people, uh, you know, is just that people are always like, oh, you're going on tour, hey, yeah, have fun, you know, man, I wish I had your life, like, have fun getting laid.
0: <laughs> Most people couldn't live that life, is the thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's like going to war. You're really, uh, it's like uh, going to do another tour of
0: duty and, you know, be down in the trenches. And uh, Yeah. I know I personally got kind of uh, tired and jaded from it. I'm amazed so that. You moved
2: to the much easier life of being a stand up comedian. That's <laughs> like the only thing that keeps me, you know, every time I start getting depressed, I'm like, God, oh, at least I'm not a stand up comedian. You would make a tour. great
0: stand up comedian because you have the uh, outlook, you know, you have the head for it.
2: Right cuz just when you're about to shoot yourself you're just like well let me just laugh at myself instead.
0: <laughs> well there's a lot of comedy in your music too and it's also very lyrical. So you you have a gift with words obviously.
2: But it would be the other thing is it's so lonely
0: going on towards a stand up com
2: you're just by your you picture all these people driving around alone in their cars with their merchandise and they're going from one gig to the next when you're just a lonely one person stand up comedian. God that's it's not even you don't even get that like road trip with people
0: feeling well that and we know I'm sure you know as well that that goes two ways. <laughs>
2: well yeah absolutely yeah I mean here I am on my like eighth or ninth band since everybody keeps quitting or fighting whatever you know it's very hard to keep a band together yeah but at least there's somebody to share the driving with
0: but doesn't that rotating cast of characters kind of help from people developing baggage.
2: That Yeah, I I do feel like um, there's something cool that happens when you sort of reset the clock and, uh, you know, new blood comes into the creative project. And I've worked with so many different people and seen the ways that everybody kind of brings their own different kind of magic to it. Mm -hmm. And there's a different kind of chemistry and a different kind of special thing that happens with each combination of musicians that I've worked with. So that's a good thing. And then, right, you don't get these, like, long, festering grudges about... uh. You know, we're still arguing about wh- who screwed up on stage in Barcelona in 2005 or something.
0: Right. And also you're in a car, you're confined in a space and you become this traveling one unit that uh, it really takes kind of a small personality to make it work. You know, big personalities, they don't work well in that kind of situation.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's amazing that any band is able to exist at all. There's
0: there's so many hurdles. Well, I always say what holds a band together is uh, money.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true. When the money's not there, the band will break up pretty quickly because there's a lot of hardships. And if uh, if people aren't at least getting money, or if there isn't like the hope that they'll be getting more money at some point, uh, if pe- I, I, people quit pretty frequently.
0: Yeah, you and I actually uh, both toured with the same band member, Jen Turner, and I actually lived with her and played in a band with her for many years. And when I heard you were doing a tour with her, I was kind of excited, and then I felt really bad for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a handful. It, utterly yes. incredible musician. I mean, She is
0: the mo- one of the most, in- probably I mean, the most incredible musician yeah, I've ever
2: Yeah, we played. had some times on stage uh, that were just, to me, mind-blowing. I was like, I can't believe what's going on right now. Uh, yeah. You know, there was like a couple of things that were just like devastatingly awesome. Um, but you know, she's a rock and roller, a hundred percent. And that means she doesn't show up on time essentially. <laughs> and that's like, I just can't afford to, unfortunately, like, you know, basically like the whole, uh, thought behind this part of the conversation is that there's too much responsibility in my brand of skimpy, meager rock and roll lifestyle to, uh, to, you know, to just, be, even if somebody's an, a, a great musician and, and, you know, a positive personality, um, if I got to hang around and stress about whether they're going to make it to the flight on time or if they're not going to be there when I want them to be there to get picked up to drive to the show on time, it's all on me. You know, there's no tour manager. There's no driver. You've put uh, too
0: much into it. Yeah,
2: I'm the one who paid for the flight. I paid for the work permit. If, like, suddenly somebody's like, oh, I can't. I, you know, I'm, you're, you're going to have to like sneak me across the Canadian border because I got busted for stuff last time I was there. You know, it's like, well, I just put three months into booking this tour. Don't tell me that now. At the airport. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of things that are too stressful for me if somebody else is like a little too wild. Um, so I've encountered that a number of times and I try to make that very clear when I'm looking for musicians. Like, you know, this isn't, it's uh you know you gotta kind of have your have your shit together to make this work,
0: yeah, I will say this for her as like as crazy as things get off stage with personalities and everything, once she's on stage, none of that matters. She is like pure music,
2: yeah, and she's great off stage too in terms I mean she brought so much great stuff to the band in terms of uh she's so she, she's so social she found people to help us out in ways that I would, you know, just approaching people on the street out of, a, you know, some dude who fixed our car with his, you know, with his bare hands in Detroit that she just shattered to on the street, you know, and it's like, I'm I'm like looking around for a mechanic. Meanwhile, she just walks up with this guy that she just met who like accomplishes this incredible feat for free. Yeah. Um, or, you know, or places that she found for us to sleep that is so, or, hard. uh, you know, a lot of other stuff. And also just, um, incredibly positive attitude in terms of uh really making us feel like what we were doing was great you know at a rehearsal or at or hearing a new song she would just be like that is incredible you know just just Mm. really gushing and pouring the positive energy into things that's so much better than playing with somebody who's like eh you know you don't feel like they even care about the material or they don't think you're you know a good songwriter or they don't you know feel think that they're not happy to be part of the band they're yeah. just like kind of dragging their feet along
0: i had that happen once and i felt like i couldn't sing with that person anymore like my throat was closing up you ever feel like that when you feel like someone doesn't want to be there
2: yeah i mean that happens uh unfortunately uh more than i you know because people just get people get grumpy on tour you know mm-hmm. people it's uh people have their you know they're worrying about their cat at home or their whatever it is and then you know you feel like you're walking
0: on eggshells or in a you're walking through a, a minefield yeah and you get that new person that push that p- gives that positivity into it yeah it's, it's energetic
2: really nice. yeah um but yeah that I, I don't know i i never thought i don't know if this conversation is interesting to anybody but uh you know i i was playing with my brother jack on bass and my friend dave on drums that was the longest lived lineup that i had mm-hmm. it's about eight years with that band even though it wasn't the we had a different drummer before that but um that was the longest lived incarnation and then when my brother jack moved out to oregon and drummer dave moved to england auditioning oh,
0: band member sucks doesn't it
2: yeah it's and i didn't realize i was gonna have to do it over and over again you know yeah. i thought okay this is a drag i'm gonna have to replace jack and dave um but at least i'll be able to replace them with people that live in new york city And then, you know, after a little while, I'll forge a new band. But, you know, here it's been three years and like seven or eight different band lineups later. And I still don't even know who's going to be playing drums later this year. I got a whole new drummer, a whole new bass player again. It's such a drag. It's such a waste of energy. I'd rather be moving forward rather than this like three steps back, one step forward stuff. Is it Mm
1: -hmm. it mostly people quitting, you firing them, or a mix? It's a mix. Uh, It's a
2: mix and it's a lot of scheduling conflicts in terms of uh you know maybe somebody's great and maybe they really want to do it and maybe they're great in every way except that they're too busy with such and such to do this tour or they uh you know their other job is starting to pick up in a way that makes them less and less available Uh, and so it's like all right we'll use you when you're available in the meantime i got to start finding somebody new and then you just forge a chemistry with a new person and that you know it's it's um do you get
0: tired of rehearsing the same songs with uh, different people yeah definitely
2: um and i want to you know there's a lot of things that you gain with each new person but then there's stuff that you you know you miss the stuff that you lost you're like well, we had such a great arrangement of that song when the band was this person this person and this person right um you don't recapture that but then you find the new thing but the thing it, it always seems like it's for the best i feel like every lineup that I've had has had a certain magic that I've been really excited about in terms of the personalities and the musical elements.
0: I imagine it's also kind of nice for the people coming out to shows because it's always a little bit different as well.
2: Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's something very cool for me about about that. Although, again, in general, probably I'd be happier if I just solidified For a while, with one lineup, the way 2014, I had Heather on drums and Caitlin on bass for the entire 2014, and it was just an incredible musical year. We we really forged into an incredible unit, a lot of great new material, Mm -hmm. a lot of great gigs, and you know, it's always different personalities, but by the time you're together for a little while, you figure out a way to make it all work, and then uh, you know, I have full confidence that I can work with anybody really if they're good enough
0: musicians uh even if they're not you know or if they have enough positivity
2: yeah i mean it's a combination i mean Mm -hmm. it's but i've been i've played with so many different people and i've done this for so long that i i have a a lot of patience when it comes to it in terms of like it's always seems impossible at first
0: but given enough time everything will turn into something really cool yeah my old my old band uh heavy pebble we got so jaded from auditioning drummers that's a tough one drummers are the hardest and then finally this guy came in darius washington he came in with this like so much positivity he was a great drummer he was talking so w- great about the music he loved the music he loved the songs but he and- was a cannibal <laughs> he was actually uh, an escape convict from Ohio. Wow, I wasn't far off. <laughs> escape, like on the lam as he was auditioning for you? Yeah, yeah. he was our drummer for about four months. Wow. And uh, this was in San Francisco. And we, had, we were in the middle of recording a record. We had played shows. We had more shows booked. Then, and he had this girlfriend, Sheila. And uh, one day, I get a call from him. He's in jail. And he tells me the whole story. He's walking down Market Street with Sheila. They get into a fight. Sheila sees a cop. Sheila's like, Officer, officer, this is Darius Washington. He's an escaped convict oh from God. Ohio. Get him, get him. And sure enough.
1: I mean, it, it's man. definitely great insurance for your boyfriend to behave. Yeah, right? She's got like
0: a permanent restraining order. It's <laughs> incredible. It's like beyond a restraining order. That's an amazing musician story. Yeah, and it's, and it's amazing because... He loved Parliament and Funkadelic, but he had never heard Dr. Dre or Snoop. Like all these... rules. Well, these... he was
2: in the pen while all that was happening? <laughs> yeah, he was. He, was in... he missed the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> he missed everything. He was in
0: jail for over 12 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was amazing. in it, I it hope all I you had it to
2: maybe rehearse your rhythms in there or something. See, that would... I mean, if you could work on a skill... While you're in there, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be too bad. But I don't know if they would have access
0: to a drum kit or anything like that. It was amazing. He'd be like, "Oh, I'm always," because he didn't have drums. He's living in a hotel in the Tenderloin, and I'm like, "Well, how do you practice?" He's like, "Oh, I'm always practice. I'm waiting for the bus, and he's moving his he's moving his feet. He's like, I'm always exercising my ankles." You know? Yeah,
2: that's what uh, my drummer Dave is like to this day. He just he does not sit still for a second. Yeah, he's like in the car. He's beating on his little drum pad. He's got his leg going. Yeah, and he's uh, it's crazy. It's like. It, it's, uh, it's Dave's I mean, a great drummer too. That, yeah, he's really fantastic. And that's, um, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's got to be a compulsion to really get to a level of greatness the way that a, an illustrator like Robert Crumb, he obviously just draws anytime he's got a minute. You know, if there's, if there's like a pen and a piece of paper, he's going to be drawing. And that's how you get to be the greatest illustrator on earth. You
0: know? Is that why you're drawing now during this?
2: Uh, if only, yeah, <laughs> I wish I could, I could front like I don't, uh, you know, waste 90% of my year not drawing. But, uh, right now, as of, um, the last three or four weeks I've actually had myself on a very good regimen of a uh, one comic page per day I'm trying to get my new comic done in time to publish it for the MOcha comic book festival uh, in early April which means I got to get it to the printer by March which means I got to sort of finish it by the end of uh, February which is this month. So yeah, I figure if I can pencil or ink a page every day, I'll be on schedule.
0: What is this Mocha Comic Book Festival?
2: It uh, stands for the Museum of uh, is, it? is Contemporary it, art, temporary comic art, or something like that. Oh, double C's. Uh, Mocha. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's these things have really expanded in the last few years to become a popular phenomenon all around. North America and all around the world, too, these sort of indie comic festivals, uh, either for small publishers or people who self-publish their stuff. Uh, you rent a table or you put in an application, if it's like a jury-selected thing, mm-hmm. to get a table to, uh, you know, hopefully sell your wares. And the people either, some of them are free events, like the TCAF one that happens in Toronto, which is the
0: Toronto Comics and Art Festival. That's a really great one. So you kind of have you kind of have two careers going at once. You have your music career and you also have your uh, comic book career, huh? Yeah, well... I, I know mean, career I, is like kind of a dirty word, but...
2: Yeah, um, it's... For me, I grew up making comic books. I always wanted to make comic books as my job, as my career, as a grown-up. Um, and there, it's just very, very hard to turn that into something that you actually can make a living at, uh, especially if you're doing sort of alternative black and white sort of comics. There there is a regular uh sort of full-time mainstream comic book career that exists for some people as a pencil or inker or writer, if you're working for Marvel or DC, you could probably make some kind of regular living, even though it's still maybe as shaky as any other freelance work. Um uh, but at a certain point, I, I, you know, and that's what I always wanted to do work for Marvel or something like that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point in college, I sort of got more interested in uh, the alternative comics uh, stuff like Eight Ball, 11 Rockets,
0: um, Freak Brothers, R. Crumb.
2: Yeah, all of that stuff. And the modern 90s equivalents of that stuff Peep Show, Palookaville, Optic Nerve, um, Acme Novelty Library. This stuff was really blowing my mind in the 90s. And I kind of, you know, switched gears a little bit in terms of the kind of artwork I was interested in doing. I wanted to do something more personal, more expressive, a little bit less of a technical approach and more, uh, a a little less of an illustrator and a little more cartoony. Even though I'm still much more of an illustrator than a cartoonist uh, compared to a lot of the underground comic people. I mean, I I say undergrounds, but it's just alternative comics these days. So anyway, I mean, that was always what I wanted to do. And that's where most of my skill set is. But most people don't read comic books. And everybody listens to music. So when I started making music, uh, one thing just kind of led to another in a very unexpected way. All these music opportunities kept coming up one after another. And I was, you know, I found myself making money with music. And I found that I could sell my comics at my gigs. right? And it created this outreach for the comics that... Uh, opened a whole new door of possibility to, for me. I used to just walk around Washington Square Park and try to sell my comic books to people on the street. Um, and I wait, would wait, also... That's, uh,
0: that's, a, that's a skill to approach women.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, I did. I, I approached a lot of people and I sold some comics that way. But did, it was, You got no dates, but you sold some comics? Yeah, and actually there was this one lady that um, was also doing some kind of zine and we kind of kept in touch. She would mail me new copies of her zine and um, and stuff like that. It's like an illustrated pen pal. Yeah. um, You know, it never, it it seemed very romantic to me. I'm sure she just, I'm sure it wasn't to her, but that's, (laughs) that's the way, I mean, this is pre-internet also. I'm talking like 1997, (laughs) Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then, um, you know, and I would get, I would put my comics in stores on Consignment and Forbidden Planet and St. Mark's Bookstore and all that stuff. And then you go back four months later and try to figure out if any sold and they give you half if they sold and, You know, it's a lot of legwork.
0: Do you distribute your comics when you're touring?
2: I don't distribute them. I should. I've thought about that more. I should budget time into my tours to visit comic stores during the day in each city that I'm at and leave them with comics. Mm -hmm. But um, first of all, that would require me traveling with much more merchandise if I had to travel with a wholesale amount. Um, Because right now it's enough of a challenge just to carry enough merchandise for the music tour itself, right? I carry a lot of comic books on my tours, basically as much as I can possibly carry, and I ship comics ahead of ahead of me. But I'm also
0: dealing with selling CDs, LPs, and everything so you, else. Do you do you think of yourself kind of like your Jay Z? Because uh, you're you're a businessman.
2: Uh yeah. I mean, I it's funny because I realized at a certain point that I'm in the family, the Lewis family heritage of fleet of like. You know Jewish flea market guys I come from like multiple generations of uh of males who made their living hustling at these little flea market tables is
0: is that your heritage
2: yeah uh, that's that's uh pretty much it. I worked for my dad when he was selling these like little Mexican trinkets in this flea market out in Brooklyn when I was a kid um and my dad worked for his dad when he was a kid selling these like women's dresses
0: at some kind of russian flea market. Isn't that kind of like part of the jewish heritage of always on the run?
2: Yeah, it's like it's not right. It's not like a real heavy career track. But then I guess there's also the jewish heritage of like growing up to be a doctor or a lawyer or something. Oh yeah, but that's I come right. from flea market Jews. <laughs> um and I realized at a certain point like that's kind of what I'm doing. I've just added the innovation of doing a concert first. It's like I play the show and then I go stand behind my merch table, which is like my own flea market table and I'm selling my comic books and I'm selling my CDs and stuff. So it's kind of a one man
0: traveling festival. Yeah,
2: it's like a medicine show. You sort of have your stuff that you're selling, but then it's kind of like people are there to buy the stuff because of the concert that you put on.
1: A, A lot of musicians now complain that they can't sell their CDs anymore, but people are still buying tangible comic books. Are you successful with both?
2: I'm successful with both and I have moved into LPs in recent years, which I never used to carry on tour because it's so bulky, but everybody just wants them, mm-hmm. so I know I can sell them if I if if my back doesn't break carrying them around. <laughs> um, and now people want cassettes, but I'm like, ah, screw that. I, Is that I mean, coming
1: uh, back, people want cassettes. Yeah, it
2: comes up to the people come to the merch table and they ask for cassettes. But I just, I mean, that was what I re- was first selling my music on back in 1998, 99. Um, and I'm not going back to those days. I mean, cassettes were at a point in time the most punk rock thing you could do it was the cheapest most efficient way to manufacture and you know produce and distribute your own music but you know once cd technology became cheap enough and accessible enough then this whole cassette thing is this kind of to me it's kind of like a bogus it's like this boutique yeah they never sounded thing. that
0: great no. yeah it's they're not you can't skip to the next song really yeah they're not the most convenient i mean they melt to, in the sun
2: yeah, there's there's I mean there's something quirky and cool about what I've seen some people do with these new cassette packages and it is something kind of interesting, but it's certainly not I mean to me punk rock is like, you know, a minutemen brand of like really uh, you know, tightly budgeted economic ways to make it work for yourself mm-hmm. as a working touring musician and cassettes just don't fit into that. They're too expensive to make, they're too bulky to carry they don't have the profit margin that CDs you can manufacture and carry and sell for very cheap. Um, and it, it just works a lot better even though there's, there's nothing aesthetically
0: punk about them other than their convenience. You have, uh, some of my favorite album titles. It's the ones who've cracked that the light shines through. I actually, I I got that from,
2: uh, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. Um, when I was writing some of those songs, and um, there was a band there that I saw a play a couple times called the Spooky Jeans, and they had a song that was like one of their song lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's the ones who have cracked that the light shines through, and I really liked that lyric. And at that time, I was really intent on making sure that uh, I that everything I you know that I wanted it to have a positive spin on it. That like I didn't want to come up with some depressing title or something. Mm-hmm. And so you feel
0: like you've cracked?
2: Uh yeah, I just kind of felt you know, I just felt like, you know, speaking for I, I you know, an identification with people that feel alienated, that there's um you know, that if you're walking around alone out there, that you're not the only one walking around alone, there's kind of like a you know, there's a psychic community of of, you know, people who are lonely in life and that, you know, I've always strongly identified myself with that. Uh, that psychic way of being. I it just uh you know humans need social contact, and I just felt you know I feel like I've spent so much time uh being alone, and you know comic book artists are not socially uh you know at least it's like uh you know it's what you do when you don't have anybody to hang out with. Why
0: why do we do that to ourselves? A lot of artists do that. I do that. I tend to isolate, but um. I also know that we need social contact for happiness.
2: Yeah, it's painful to be alone. But, I I mean, if I could have been hanging out with people instead of drawing comic books or writing songs, I would have been. Um, It was just, you know, a way to fill lonely time. So I always, you know, I was, you know, and I've been through periods of being far less socially well-adjusted. And, yeah, I mean, I definitely identify as a a social loser, some kind of outcast, some kind of, you know, I've never identified with music that was music of the socially successful. I mean, you know, give me Daniel Johnston over Prince any day. I mean, I'll listen to uh, a sincere expression of painful loneliness over uh, somebody who like thinks that there's somebody sexy on the dance floor that they, you know. Right. Well, what about. trying to convince partners to hook up with them. That stuff (laughs) has
0: no, you know, has no connection for me. Yeah. Well, what about someone that kind of pulls off both, like David Bowie?
2: uh, uh, You know, this is the wrong time for, uh, too soon, too soon. I've never been a Bowie fan. I Uh I, I see nothing in Bowie. He's got some, you know, I like Suffragette City. I like his songs that I like. But even when I was a teen, even in my heaviest classic rock period as a teenager when, you know, I had piles of, I mean, I was very heavily into all that stuff in terms of, you know, I had every Led Zeppelin record, every Pink Floyd record and I love all all of Bowie's inspirations to death. I have all the early Tyrannosaurus Rex records, I love Sid Barrett, I yeah. love
0: uh, you know, I have every Lou Reed record, I love Iggy Pop. Um, I always felt like Bowie maybe wasn't a trendsetter as much as a Like he was like right on the cusp of following what was brewing under the surface.
2: Yeah, it's hard to even say how much. To me, he's just, you know, he like he knows how to make a song and he knows how to make a recording, but there's it's not there's something lacking in terms of being a true artist, and I I feel like. I, I don't know. I did come to the conclusion recently that there's no point in me putting energy into convincing anybody why they shouldn't like something right. they already like. Yeah. If I'm going to bother crafting a line of argument, I should be sa- telling people why they should like something that they maybe have overlooked, and then I'll, 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 I'm expanding people's enjoyable lives rather than yeah. being some kind of... I'm actually
0: more loser. curious yeah. about these women that you... Yeah, <laughs>
2: back to all right. Let's just erase that. Inter- let's, start, let's start this interview. Are you recording?
0: Uh, let's start
1: recording now. All right, Jeff. I, how? I, I have a question. Going back to the, the, the comic book music. Obviously, right now you're on a deadline. You you're working on a comic book. On a day that you don't have a deadline, you don't have anything to do today. You wake up. Are you saying I want to create some comics? I want to create music. Or I'm just going to go on with my day. See what inspiration hits. And bring that creativity towards that.
2: Well, honestly, the average day um, is just booking gigs, I w- or dealing with other administrative stuff, and I really wish that wasn't the case. And right now, I'm kind of suffering the effects of, for once, experimentally prioritizing doing my comic book. Where you know, like I'm saying, the last few weeks, I've said to myself, "Well, why don't I just make sure I get one comic page done per day." And whatever else I have time for after I do that, I'll get to after that rather than the reverse, which, you know, I have spent the last like 12 years feeling like, okay, I got to deal with booking gigs. I got to deal with, you know, rehearsing the band. I got to deal with going over contracts with the record label. And then if I have any time left, then I'll work on some comic stuff. And, uh, you know, working on it the last few weeks, I've felt very satisfied that I'm working on a great new comic. I'm really happy with the work I'm doing. But meanwhile, I'm really screwing up my music stuff because I am I should shows. be booking. It's already kind of too late for me to book this May tour that I'm sort of half-heartedly trying to book. I should be emailing right now, finding clubs, and all these places are like, are you crazy? You're, you're too late. We're already booked up through July, and I'm like, geez, can't I just... And just the fact that I want to work on some comic books has like really derailed music stuff for the whole first seven months of this year already it's only february (laughs) and people are already talking about like well maybe we could do something with you in november and i'm like geez, really all i can't have a few weeks to just work on some comic stuff without screwing up my whole music career so i don't know what i I, i'm just maybe if i was more organized i could balance both of these things but in general i really feel like i've spent the last you know 10 to 15 years just sucked into the internet world of emailing and looking at maps.
0: That is the hardest piece of the puzzle to fill because you have a record label, you have distribution, you have everything, but getting a booking agent in the music world is the hardest because a booking agent makes very little money unless you're booking huge shows. Right. It's very, very tricky to get that one.
2: Yeah. And it's tricky just to get these clubs to write me back,
0: you know? They're all so lazy. Like, oh yeah, you could have the night. Just find three locals and put the whole night together. You're like, wait, locals, you live there. I don't live yeah, there. right. Like, you do your you're job. the local promoter. I don't know. I
2: can't be ha- putting up flyers in Tucson, Arizona. I live in New York. You know, yeah. that's, that's your job. Now I got to um, find
0: three local Tucson bands to play with.
2: Yeah. So it's, you know, and also because I pay the musicians in my band, regardless of whether I make money or not. So I'm, I'm under pressure to be, you know, I got to book shows that are making money. Uh So, you know, I've been able to make it work for all these years, but it is a lot of work. I wish it wasn't as much work. And now that I'm like, you know, for once I'm like devoting less than 110% of energy to it and it's already falling apart. And I'm like, seriously, I was kind of thinking, what if I didn't devote 100% of energy to it? Maybe it won't fall apart, but it seems
0: to not be the case. Well, maybe it's happening for a reason.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would be fine if I could just make comic books and tour a little bit each year, make new songs, make new recordings. But the majority of my income is from the touring. And my experience has been that if I don't do it, no one else is going to make it happen. And if I don't do it regularly enough, even if I have enough money, if, even if I have enough money saved up, or even if I'm making enough money with comics or whatever else, I can't keep a band together unless I'm providing them with enough paying touring stuff. Where the band stays sharp, the band stays, uh, you know, money-making enough that they stick with me. And, you know, if I'm only touring with my band once every seven months, then we're just going to be rusty
0: and we're not going to sound as good. You ever have to uh, leave someone on the road or send someone home? Uh, that's a good question. Let me think. Um, happened to me once. Uh, I didn't get sent no,
2: home. No, maybe you'll... <laughs> um, almost but i'm you know i'm a wuss when it comes to confrontations uh and i would rather bring something i I, i'm always just like let me just get through this tour we'll have a conversation about this stuff when we get back home
0: meaning Um, like it's been fun let's never see each other ever again End of conversation yeah (laughs) so um your girlfriend that lives here what does she do when you go on the road does she go with you
2: well, we've been together about a year, a little over a year, and that's always a problem. Uh every relationship that I've been in, mm-hmm. uh, what how do you solve that problem where you know, if you're single, then there's no problem. You go on t- you don't have to consider that. You book a tour when you can, you go on tour. Doesn't matter whether it's a two-week tour or a three-week tour, or a four-week tour, nobody cares how soon you come home. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you're in a relationship, then you know you have to start thinking about that stuff. And usually, what it seems to happen is ob- I can't start a relationship and really, you know, build some kind of relationship unless it happens during a period of time when I'm in New York for a while. You know, like I'm not going to develop a relationship with somebody in New York while I'm away on the road. right? So if there's a stretch of time, say, four months or something, when I'm home in New York, or I'm only doing gigs on weekends or whatever, or only doing short tours, then I develop a relationship, and then it's a bit of a shock to that person Mm -hmm. when the time comes, when I'm like, well, I tried to tell you this, but now it's, you know, I really didn't do that much touring in the last six months, but that's unusual for me. Usually, you know, there's going to be some some regular touring. So then the relationship has to
0: figure out how to. It could go either way. It could really make the relationship work cause you take a breather, you get a little space from each other and you come back and it's all kind of freshy and new. That's
2: right. the way I like to think about it. Um, but it's much easier to feel that way when you're the person who's going away. Right. Because it's like, okay, well right now I don't have the relationship, but I have all this other stuff, this adventure, this travel, this music, the excitement of being on tour that to fill my days whereas for the person that's stuck staying at home, they just have their same life minus the relationship, which is much harder cuz they don't it's not like they're getting something in exchange for not being together at that time.
0: I used to be in that position and then I'd be like, "Oh, I'm so excited to come home and just have sex with you." And then she'd be like, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I let's let's just get to know each other again." Like we live together. We don't need to get to know each other again.
2: That's yeah, I've encountered that situation where the person gets so used to you not being around, right? That they just get used. They're just like, oh, they, they sort of forgotten that they're in a relationship with you or that, you know, the magnetism and the closeness has like, it's been too long and it evaporates. It can and be that's, scary because you're coming really home. It's really scary. Yeah, yeah. Cause you're like, it's totally oh, unpleasant.
0: We live to now it's like an arranged marriage. We live together and it's like, I'm coming home and are we still going to want to even be together?
2: Yeah. You really got to tend to that. You don't, know, cause right. On one hand, you want the person that if you're going on tour, you want the person to not freak out that you're going to be gone. You want to be like, no, you'll be fine. What you, you know, you're a mature human being. You don't need me in your life. You'll be totally okay. And then, but then it, but the problem is when it actually works out that way, and then they're like, yeah, wait a minute, I don't need him in my life. I'm totally okay without him. Why do I even need him in my life at all?
0: And they're developing relationships where they live, and exactly. you've just been wandering around.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can't make a relationship when you're touring. I mean maybe you'll make out with somebody or spend the night with somebody but that's not making a life together and getting you know really getting to know somebody um so if you're the one who's away on tour it's your partner at home who has the chance to forge a new relationship with somebody and that and you know,
1: it's the that's emotional bond with dangers
0: yeah cuz it's the emotional connections that tear the relationship up yeah
1: so so touring has cost you some relationships yeah
0: it's a lesson that i
2: had to learn uh you know over you know and it, it's um it's still something still something that's difficult to navigate um i don't really know how to deal with that going forward uh it's you have a
0: tour coming up
2: yeah but it's been for you know i'm just not touring as much nowadays as i used to with my really heavy touring days um when i'd be gone quite a bit I never, I never like doing long tours. You know, I've never toured, maybe twice in the last 15 years have I done a six week tour. And the majority of tours that I do, I try to keep it to three weeks. But sometimes there's a lot of three week tours with only a few days home in between.
0: Three weeks. That's always been my uh, cut up too. I think anything beyond three weeks starts to get a little intense.
2: Yeah. That's when people start quitting the band. That's when uh, it stops being fun for people. Yep. It's, a, it's an interesting way how that works. That's interesting file.
0: that you said three weeks, too. Why do you think it is anything beyond three weeks you start to enter a new territory a, uh, of it's insanity? A good,
2: it's a good question. <laughs> um, in some ways... Well, I always subscribe to the Grateful Dead method of trying to play different sets every night. If you have enough material worked out with the band, you can keep the material fresh and in rotation for a certain period of time... When you
0: say the Grateful Dead method, does that include like a lot of heroin and uh, marijuana? Uh, uh,
2: No, just the method of uh, the fun of what are we going to play tonight. Having the set list Uh each night be a work of art in itself. That's not like, here's our set list that we do every night of the tour. But have it be a new creative canvas where it's like, well, tonight, why don't we open with this one?
0: Nourishing And and fun for you.
2: Yeah. And then somebody else in the band is like, that's fucking crazy. I like it. Let's do that. Let's open with that. Or, you know, or wanna, you know, or it's like, hey, well, let's pull this one. We haven't done this one in a while. Let's try this one tonight. Or here's this new one that I just wrote. Let's try this one. Or what if we try this one after this one after this one as a little three song, you know, thing? I think those could go really well together. And then somebody else is like, no, because, you know, that's a finger picked song in the key of A, and that other one's also a finger picked song in the key of A. So those aren't gonna be good to go back to back. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's put a strummed one in there. And then it's like, oh, but that's two really depressing songs in a row. Let's put like a funny one in there to break it up, so the set doesn't get too. Much. There's so many factors, yeah, and that can become a really fun, multi-hour-long discussion in the car on your
0: on your way to the Just show Just about the set list.
2: Yeah, and I love that idea that you know there might be fans who are also having those discussions coming to the show. The way that I always used to discuss set lists with my friends going to Grateful Dead shows or going to Yola Tango shows, another band that you know, plays different stuff every night. You wonder what they're going to play, what order, what surprises they might pull out. That's so different than being like, oh, I'm going to see the Pixies. They're going to play the same set list that they played two years ago when they toured. So that, I think, keeps a tour fun to a point. But because I don't have as many songs as Yola Tango or The Grateful Dead, and very importantly, because... I'm not a jam band. So there's a certain amount of improvisation and in the moment stuff that can't happen on stage because I'm playing songs mostly. There's a, you know, some songs have improvisational musical parts, but most of my material is song material. So after three weeks, it's kind of like, all right, we've kind of played all our songs a few times and we've tried out every combination of like how, what order we can play stuff in. It starts to get a little samey, and that I feel like that's that's a problem.
1: Yeah, and if you're changing up band members often, they might not know a repertoire. song from, yeah, 10 yeah. years. You're not like Yola Tango, you're not playing with your wife.
2: Yeah, that's a tremendous problem. I feel like the longer I'm with each lineup, the bigger a repertoire we have. That's a big problem for um, The Fall, whom I love, you know, but Marky Smith's always got different band members. It's a real shame that when you go see The Fall, they don't have. Thirty-five years worth of songs to pull from because they've got such an incredible back catalog, they would make an incredible Yola Tango Grateful Dead type band to see five nights in a row with five completely different set lists. Well, That's,
0: what what about but they that? They
2: can't do it because it's always new band members.
0: Well, what about that? What about playing with, uh, as Matt said, your wife? I mean, when when we played together, you were playing. Your girlfriend was in your band, I think.
2: That's a, it. Is a very good solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also. I think a bit tough for me again because of the fact that it's song oriented rather than, rather than jazz. If it was an equal creative partnership, um, rather than here's my song, uh, now oh, play right. on my song. Uh, you know the fact that this is like the Jeffrey Lewis band. It's not Led Zeppelin, and it's not. You dated uh, a
0: girl uh, named Led Zeppelin.
2: Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> that's what she called RC you. Girls have creative names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to ask of somebody to devote their life to my project. Um it can be a lot of fun traveling with somebody as a partner in a, in a band relationship like that. It can also be really good because you don't you're not apart for those times. Mm-hmm. It can be great for the relationship to have a creative project to work on together. It's really fun. Yeah. Doing that with somebody that
1: you're dating. with something mutual. Yeah. What if you made them feel as if the band members are their own entity, like calling yourself Jeffrey Lewis and a Jeffrey Lewis band? That way they would feel like, well, we're separate than Jeffrey Lewis. Well, that's...
2: I sort of... I mean, I I always have these different... You, each you lineup just, has a different band name. I mean, we've yeah. been
1: Jeffrey Lewis
2: and the Jitters, Jeffrey Lewis and the Junkyard, Jeffrey Lewis and the just Jicks. that and the other. Yeah, depending on uh, who's in the band. What was Jen? Was she a dick? I think we didn't... Bo- Did we... um We were still operating as Jeffrey Lewis and the Drams during that period because she only was on tour with us for, it was like a one week tour. Mm -hmm. So, and we still had the t-shirts with the other band name and stuff like that. So we we didn't bother changing names in that lineup. Although maybe we were already kicking around
0: different band name possibilities. It does change the whole vibe of the tour when you have a partner with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's cool.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know, what, do if what, what, what are your feelings on that? Um, most of my experience has been with that, or solo touring. I've done a lot of solo touring, and that is the closest I've ever come to insanity. Like, seriously ins- seriously insane. All that time you alone. the alone time, yeah. or
2: the... Uh, yeah, see, on one hand, touring solo is tough because of the alone time, but it's also tough because there's no social buffer when you are staying at people's houses and dealing with people at the yes. rough table. And do- there's nobody else to take over the chatting and the having to constantly be, you know, engaged and friendly. Isn't it great to have that one person in the band that's really social? Absolutely. Uh, usually it's the drummer. And it's, uh, you know, I, for some reason, the drummers always tend to be the more social ones. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of nights where it's like, all right, I can just go to sleep. The drummer's going to stay and hang out with these people. and have a great great
0: time doing it. Yeah, someone's got to be social with the hosts. Yeah, I've always found that uh, solo touring much less apt to get put up than when I'm with the band. Ironically, really. Yeah, it's a little intense. It's a little intimate for people to put up one guy,
2: right? Especially when you're a male, because they're probably like, he probably just wants to hook up with me," or you know, or they're like, "Oh, he's just out here to have sex or something," or you know. So it already makes you seem like you're trying to. Get something out of them or something.
0: And like what you said, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I, I can go back with this person, but then I have to play guest and kind of entertain and be social. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go sleep in my car.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the benefit of playing solo because you can just sleep in the car. You don't have to be as desperately seeking housing right you know you can just be like ah, i don't have a place to sleep tonight i'll sleep in the car
0: but man there is not much more lonely feeling than going to play a show pouring your heart out on stage then getting back in your car pulling on some residential street in some town you don't even know where you are and then it starts to rain yeah and you're just like it's dark and it's rainy and you're in some residential weird town and you're just like wow i am so alone
2: <laughs> yeah although you know i've i kind of like that you know it's like camping out it's like I'm not a real outdoorsy type person, but I, I like the weird coziness of feeling that autonomous and feeling like that much of a, uh, having feel that sense of freedom that like, yeah, I can go anywhere, I can sleep anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Have
0: you done solo tours?
2: Yeah, yeah, totally. What um, was your longest? Uh, well, not very long. I mean, I, I I'm trying to think what would be my... I Maybe really... I've done like two weeks solo. You okay. know, certainly I don't think I would have done I, I've certainly never done a month solo.
0: I don't recommend it to anybody.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do that.
0: Do you know uh David Dondero?
2: Not personally, but I'm friends with um Darren Hanlon, mm-hmm. who's an Australian songwriter who's really fantastic, and I've toured uh I toured in Australia with Darren Hanlon, and he has also done a lot of touring with David Dondero. So hanging out with Darren, and sometimes Darren's in New York, um, and he's just a great guy, great songwriter, great performer. Um, and he's very successful in Australia. He's he's much less known in the States, but he still he tours out here and he tours in Europe and England. And he's got all these great stories about Dondero. So I, I feel like anytime I hang out with Darren, I've you know, I've got the chance of hearing another incredible David Dondero touring
0: story. Yeah. He's and he's also
2: it. played me some
0: Dondero recordings that I thought were fantastic. I thought the guy's a really great songwriter. Yeah, he's done a lot of solo touring. He told me uh, he's like I did three months solo one time, and I went completely insane. <laughs> and he's like, I haven't come back from it. But yeah, I could see that it's uh, could be damaging. Well, he's it's like, like, a like big solitary
2: or something too, right? Or he's uh, he's a real wild man, at least or he used to be or something.
0: It's all symptoms of solo touring.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, like Hamel on Trial, a real solo road warrior, incredible performer. Uh, And, you know, I think nowadays, actually, he goes on tour with his kid who's maybe about 12 or something. He's got a son that comes with him on tour when he's watching his son. Uh, And that seems like a fun. It's kind of like Lone Wolf and Cub. It's like Samurai and his kid on the road together. Right. And it's really funny because uh, the kid is like too young to really be left alone in these clubs. So Hamill's got to have his son on stage when he plays, just sitting in a chair on the corner of the stage. Just yeah, so he keeps you know, so he doesn't walk out the door of this club into the middle of the audience city somewhere. is the babysitter. Yeah, so it's exactly so the but meanwhile, you know, he's doing a really, you know, over the top, high energy, you know, sweat flying punk rock, you know, foul mouthed. <laughs> he, you know, he's an incredible writer and the, the showmanship and the energy and it's, you know. It, it, you've got this like funny weird, you know, and the kid is like just sitting there like playing video games on his phone or something in the corner <laughs> uh, while his dad is just like tearing things up a few feet away. It's a funny, somebody should do a documentary about them. Yeah, so yeah. instead
1: of like the, the guy that dances with the ska band and that's his only use, it's just the, the kid sitting there.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really funny like contrast, but it's it's cool that he's able to make that work. And I'm sure it's a really cool bonding experience. I mean, imagine doing that with your dad going on tour with him. Loading in the guitar and the merch and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but but Hamill spent many years just touring as a solo performer,
0: just him in his car. You've done you've done a lot of touring. Do you have any idea how many shows you've done so far?
2: Um, I started keeping track around two thousand four. So on my website, I actually have lists for each year mm-hmm. um, where I count up and tally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have one page that's like. Just a list of years and how many shows I played in that year. And then you can click on the year and actually see what all those shows were. Um, But I wasn't keeping track prior to around 2004. So, you know, I know certain things that I did in 2002 and 2003. I
0: remember at some point you went to Russia.
2: Yeah, well, that was was much later. That was
0: like 2011 or something. Is that the most exotic place you've ever toured?
2: um i took well new zealand seems pretty far away i toured in new zealand uh, it doesn't
0: seem threatening like russia
2: right it's not (laughs) as different cultural. i mean china
0: i toured toured china China
2: two Mm -hmm. times we played in vietnam this past summer we played in malaysia this past summer we did a yeah the asia tour that we did this past august uh we were in macau vietnam malaysia and a few cities around
0: China. Now, what do you do when you're in, when you're in China? I mean, you can't read a South thing Korea, that's around I've you. South Korea, toured in South Korea. Wow, South um, Korea.
2: Well, we had we sort of had a, ch- a chaperone for the China tour. This guy Abe, he's from the U.S. originally, but he's been living out there about twenty years. And he oh, Abe, together.
0: that sounds incredibly Chinese. He
2: put, yeah, he's a uh, he's <laughs> you know he looks like an all American white guy, you know, freckles. He looks like a. Uh, you know, he, he looks like he should be in an Archie comic. He's a very sort of <laughs> he does. You know, he does martial arts. He's got a very you know put together physique, and he's kind of like a very upstanding, like you know respectable looking dude. But he's gotten himself involved in booking indie bands to tour in China and other parts of Asia. So, so he chaperoned you, so he can read the signs and yeah, because he speaks Chinese, and he's the one who set up the gigs. And he, without him, you know, he was in charge of booking all the train tickets and everything. Which actually, for me, is a totally unusual circumstance, and I f- I find it very uncomfortable because I don't know, you know, when I don't know what's going on or or how much it costs or what time we have to wake up to catch that train or, you know, did we really need to t- would have it would it have been cheaper to do this because you normally handle
0: here? you're also tour manager
2: yeah um so it's really weird for me to have somebody else who's not super communicative about that stuff you know we don't even know where we're going the ne- what what time we have to be at this place the next day or how much it pays or how much it costs to get there uh so i you know that that is an uncomfortable thing for me about these two asia tours that we've done as we have had to rely on somebody uh but i you know i wouldn't have been able i don't have any contacts out there i don't know how to do anything out there so you know we really without somebody putting that together and taking us around. How was the audience and how
0: was the response? Was their language barrier tough? Well, yeah, but you know, there's a language barrier and,
2: you know, if I'm playing in Spain or anywhere else, um, there's that's that's nothing new for us, but the... Um,
0: culture is even diff- culture, different. Culture,
2: yeah. And actually, I really wish there had been a little more connection between us. That's the other thing, is like, the way that this guy has it booked... We're staying in hotels every night, and that's very disappointing to me, cause especially in some place so interesting and exotic. That's where it's like, man, staying in people's houses would be so great. Yeah, first of all, it would save tons of money, and you get the you real experience. Really, yeah, you would really see like what it's like. What you know, so we we met very few locals on both of those tours, and that that was a bit depressing. And you know, you just feel like you're a little too protected and a little too chaperoned, um, yes. and you don't really have the the autonomy you're not driving yourself you're not leaving when you want to leave
0: you're not really seeing that you're just seeing the inside of these hotels that's what a lot of the bigger rock stars miss out on aren't most of your tour stories uh stories that take place after the show at the people's houses (laughs) yeah i i often feel really bad for bands that have never
2: had that experience um you know you might not want to still be having that experience when you're 70 but um if you're a band that has an overnight success Like, I mean, did somebody like The Strokes or Vampire Weekend or, you know, anybody that like pretty quickly got to the top of uh, the indie rock food chain in terms of like having people drive them, staying in hotels every night, having things organized for them. Mm -hmm. Those bands really missed out as far as I'm concerned on a big part of what's enjoyable and memorable. The, The uncertainty and the you know, the adventure part of it and the amazing things that can happen.
0: Mm-hmm. You have these lyrics that I, that I wanted to read uh, that really got me. From the Chelsea Hotel oral sex story song? Did I say that right? Close enough. Okay. If I was Leonard Cohen or some other songwriting master, I'd know to first get the sex, then write the song after. You can practice writing songs about romance every day, but if you haven't loved then you'll have nothing to say it's pretty good
2: thanks that was probably the first song that i that was kind of like the start of my whole music career Uh, that was the first song that i wrote that i felt like this is something that i would be proud to play for people and make a recording of
0: had you been in love at that point no uh i mean we're singing to a future jeff I guess I don't know what I thought
2: I was saying. I mean, I certainly, a lot of the early songs and a lot of the later songs too are definitely coming from a very socially isolated place, but um, I like to keep a positive perspective. But that, yeah, that, I mean, that song is from a very long time. I mean, I was, I was like 22 or something like that. Uh, And now I'm 40. So that's, it's definitely a different person in some ways who wrote that song but that song is kind of like the showed the way forward for me it sort of that song sort of taught me how to write songs really mm-hmm.
0: have you been in love uh i don't know i don't
2: know if i believe in it any more than i believe in uh the christmas spirit or something like that <laughs> or uh you know halloween it's like it's there as much as you want it to be there if you pretend it's there then it's really
0: there Uh Well, I mean, no one's been able to define love for centuries, but uh, everyone kind of has their own definition of it.
2: Well, unfortunately, uh, I can say that I love certain records and I can say that I love certain books or uh, certain lyrics, say, or uh, certain comic books, certain artists, Mm -hmm. but that Experience is not something I can translate into personal human relationships. Um, so I could say that I experience some kind of really excited feeling about art that uh, is not like the kind of experience that I have. But all those
0: all those examples are kind of a material love. You're loving a thing.
2: Uh, yeah. But is that, I mean, that's kind of what love is like, too. I mean, it's somebody that you want to hold.
1: They're material things, but I, I think what Jeffrey is saying is his emotional experience, connection to those pieces of art. It's right, not, how do you it's know not, it's material? I might be yeah. talking about an MP3 that I yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not just this, whatever, this Beatles record. It's yeah. the feeling and connection and the fact that, I understand, I, I relate where you can maybe have heard a song 30 years ago and still love that song the same amount yeah. you did then, a relationship's a lot tougher. Than, well, I than guess the, like that. the big difference is, is that it's with that, a
0: song, for example, it's a one-way interaction. It's not interacting with you, you're interacting with it.
2: Yeah, although maybe somebody who's like a media studies major would uh, have some other perspective on that. Like, well, actually... It's interacting with you. And every time you hear it, it's different. If it's a great work of art, depending on where you are, your life, it has something new to say to you. I don't know. I All just right. know that there's like, you know, there's songs or there's stuff that I could put on that I'm like, uh, you know, gets me revved up and, uh, and excited in a way that, uh, you know, I, I can say like there is that sort of excitement in the world. Um, but, and maybe that's what some people feel like about relations. Some people don't feel that way about music. You know, I, you know, I don't, I, I sometimes feel bad for people that don't have the relationship to music that I feel like I have for some reason or other. I'm very powerfully affected by it. What does
0: it, what does it do for you?
2: I mean, if it's an exciting rock song, I just like, I have to, you know, jump around and yell and rock out it you know the awesomeness of it blows my mind or if it's like a something philosophical or thoughtful uh or sad you know it might like i might there's songs that i just like start crying if i just start thinking about that you know i don't i could just be on the train and think about a certain song not even a sad song just a song that i feel like is so deep and heavy and like just you know wallops me about the human condition or something and i'll just like start tearing up or, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if other people
0: or, you know, or it could be a comic book, too. Yeah, I always Um, get this odd feeling like you ever go to someone's house and you realize that they have a big television, but they have no stereo anywhere.
2: Yeah, who knows? People might think it's weird that I don't have a TV. It's like people might have a very strong emotional connection to, you know, Breaking Bad or something and think that I'm a total idiot for never having, you know, seen it or not not feeling a magnetism towards Stuff I'm sure there's very high quality culture that happens on a TV screen that I'm not connected to. You know, when I was a kid I used to love Hill Street Blues or something like that. Yeah. Taxi, Cheers. Um, So, uh, yeah. But it's true that there are people who don't music is not that important to them. You know, I hung out in a cafe all morning this morning. I was waiting for my girlfriend to get out of class. Uh, I was out in Williamsburg. um, So I was going to meet her after she got out of this thing. I was in this cafe and they was listening to like some Pandora or Spotify station yeah and like the ad, you know the ads come on when it's the the free version with the ads mm-hmm. and I'm like there's two people there's two employees working here they're enjoying this music but it was so weird to me that they don't they're enjoying it but they don't enjoy music enough. To actually own
0: their own records that they would want to bring to work and play for each, or they, or at least spend the five dollars a month to get
1: rid of the ads. Have their, yeah, have their employer pay that money? That's that's nothing. That's that's one coffee per month.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It was cool. You know, they were into it. They were like, you know, grooving along to this stuff. But to me, that just seems like. Really, you don't care enough about it that like you're choosing what to listen to or you you don't know enough about what you would want to listen to that you're entrusting it, well, but there's something cool about because I see I do love listening to the radio when it's when you don't know what the song is what song is coming up next, you get introduced to stuff that you don't already know.
1: there is something cool about that, but um in, in all fairness uh, to the employees, and I've worked at places where you just play music after a while, like I can't just keep picking my own music. It's just easier to let a computer play music, yeah.
2: For me. And actually, I love, I mean, I've just got so much stuff in my own computer music library that if I can't think of what to put on, if I just put on Shuffle, uh, you know, I've got like a year's worth of stuff to listen to on Shuffle and stuff will pop up. And I'm like, God, I didn't even know I had that song on or what. I don't even know what the song is. How did that get on my computer? I don't remember who gave me this song. um, It could be
0: a bit schizophrenic, though. It's nice to settle into a.
2: Yeah, into a genre. That, right. That makes sense. Also, of course, I'm sure you know this problem. When you put your own music library on shuffle, you hear 10,000 of your own demos and like mix, you know, 10,000 mixes, you know, the five different mixes of this song. You're like, oh, God, I don't, you know, if somebody else is around, it's really embarrassing. You got to go yeah. skip
0: it. Or some uh, voice memo of you playing the guitar with Yeah, some exactly. Idea. Yeah. That's awfully that embarrassing. That. Yeah. Or speaking your thoughts. Right. That's terrible. No one should ever speak their thoughts out loud. Never. So that's your love, huh? That's your definition of love.
2: I don't know if that's my definition of love. I guess I just said that just because if I said you know, love is between people is more you know, it's not like that if, you know, my definition of love between people sounds like it involves more, you know, weighty responsibility or, you know, it's not just a party or it's uh I don't know. I mean, maybe it is for some people and I don't want to I'm always going to get in trouble with
0: whoever I'm dating when they start hearing me talk like that. <laughs> well, um, it's, yeah, it's hard to know like what love is cuz like you are you think you're in love with someone then you feel jealousy and you're like, well, is jealousy part of love? Or? Oh, yeah, I've
2: always felt jealousy much more strongly than I felt love. <laughs> uh, that, no question about that. I've been uh yeah, bowled off my feet by by
0: jealousy. Ah, uh, really? Oh, yeah is the girl like wait you're jealous but you don't even love me <laughs> it's some kind of weird quirk of human nature what is jealousy it's almost like a weird thing of wanting to possess someone or have
1: them all for yourself
2: sure well why why do we have a monogamous culture
1: anyway that's it, a good it question just, it plays on your own insecurities and feelings of self-doubt
2: as well yeah. In I mean, theory. it's devastating. If some, somebody wants somebody else instead of you, this is like, this is me. This is all I have to offer is my whole life equates to, to this entire package of me. And you're just going to reject that. That's all I've got.
0: But can, I mean, I love peanut M&Ms. Sometimes I like dark chocolate with almonds.
2: Just think of how those peanut M&Ms think. How they <laughs> feel. What, what's going through their mind when you get the other you one.
0: Know. I feel like in theory, monogamy is a really tough sell.
2: It's all genetic and cultural and based on these things that we wouldn't necessarily even think of if we were just born into some kind of blank slate world and made up all the rules ourselves based on what we felt. But that's just not reality. We're part of an interconnected social web, so we don't just invent things based on how we feel in the moment. I mean, that's just like being an infant. You know, you know if I just did whatever I felt, I would never get out of bed in the morning. There's, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a push and a pull between...
0: What gets you out of bed in the morning? I don't know. I mean, uh, why do I get out of bed? In the-
2: I, well, I like to wake up with my girlfriend and have, you know, coffee, the thought of getting coffee. Yeah. That's like, that's a big plus because I know I'll be happy at that point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just on to the next thing now. What is going to make me put down this coffee and leave this coffee shop?
2: Right. Well, the coffee itself, the drug
0: uh-huh. of the
2: coffee, the, uh, the enthusiasm and the inspiration and the excitement and the happiness and the love, that comes out of that, that that blast of caffeine drug. Yeah. That's like, that's what gets me going. At that point, I start having an idea for a comic. I start, you know, really being like in love with everybody and everything. I'm just like, man, I love my girlfriend. I love my apartment. I've got this great idea for a comic. I wanted to sit down and start working on it right now. Um, if you
0: like coffee. beautiful,
2: sunshiny day.
0: If you like coffee, you will love cocaine.
2: I'm sure. I, I'm uh <laughs> You know, that's, speaking of the people's uh, misconceptions of what the rock and roll life is like, I have toured, you know, I've been making music since like the late 90s. That's like 17, 18 years, whatever that is. And I've been touring pretty regularly for about 14 years. And I've been in all sorts of backstage rooms. I've been in all sorts of people's houses, all kinds of rock clubs from small punk places to big fancy places. Hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of gigs in these sorts of situations on tour buses, traveling with other big famous bands where I was along with them for the ride on their tour bus for the tour. Never, ever uh, in all those experiences did anybody ever offer me drugs like that. You know, sure, a joint would go around, but nobody has ever been like, you want these pills or you want to do a line of this or you want, you know, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like me. I'm sure it goes on. But you would think that I would have encountered it.
1: Yeah, I and mean, Gary and I <laughs> have been doing blow this whole podcast, and <laughs> yeah. we're definitely not offering you any.
2: Yeah, the only band that ever had the uh, the only band that ever had the uh, you know the the um, what what's the word the the etiquette to uh, offer me some hard drugs was a uh, Fat White Family, which and that was just about a year ago. Like, finally, somebody comes <laughs> over to my house and
0: like you're getting pulls out some
2: kind of illicit. <laughs> you know powder or something and he's like you want to do some of this um, I didn't do it but uh I was like, it's, man I've, it's taken me like 14 years for anybody any of these rock and rollers that I've hung out with any of these sleazy promoters any of these no one's ever even offered you know you would think you, you some promoter <laughs> in some little town aren't they
0: supposed to say like hey I can get you some I think you did it to yourself. I
2: think think it's my lyrics, my
0: my nerdiness. You have a song Uh, called The Last Time I Did Acid I Went Insane, which is pretty much you saying that drugs will disagree with you.
2: Right, but there's a big difference between drugs like acid and pot disagreeing. You know, a psychedelic drug where you can have a bad... There's drugs where it's impossible to have a bad time. Uh, Doesn't somebody just want to offer me some ecstasy or something?
0: Never. Never. You know what? In all these years. We're going to release this podcast before your tour. And this is going to be the best tour you went on ever. <laughs> yeah. Well. All right. Let's you heard it. There. You heard I'm it. I'm
2: sure I could just put where If I, you know, I could always just put word out on Facebook nowadays with social media. It's like, <laughs> I mean, that's what these other bands do. That's what, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be naming names, but uh, certain bands, um,
0: they ask they, fans to bring certain drugs to their. Yeah. fans
2: know that they, you know, that that's like a good way to like make friends with that band, and
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: that's a. Uh, Oh, it's the same thing with sex, you know. If you're, I'm sure, like you know, going back to, uh, you know, if you're Jim Morrison or Iggy Pop or something, and you're on stage singing about how you want to fuck lots of chicks, then people know, like, oh, he's into that. Right. Uh, let's he's go. A, let's go fuck fucker. him. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go do it. Um, but if you're on stage being like, oh, I'm shy and awkward and blah blah blah, then you know that doesn't really. Uh, you're you're not like inviting. You sort of like invite the vibes to your show that you're that you're you know people take it for who you you know that's that's who you are
0: do you want people to bring ecstasy to your show
2: no i mean that would get tedious i guess but i, I mean all i'm saying is like it is not people's perception of the rock and roll life yeah. to uh to really imagine all this touring that goes that i've done and all those clubs that i've been in that that has not happened once yeah not once <laughs> not even like once per tour you know pe- people just like the, the whole phrase party like a rock star I guess that's why it's not party like an indie rock star.
0: Right. Um, (laughs) Party like a comic book artist.
2: Yeah, nobody ever says that.
0: (laughs) What would that look like?
2: You're looking at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a party. Well, actually,
2: if you come by tonight, you'll see what it looks like. Because I have a every Wednesday night I have a drawing hangout gathering at, at my apartment here. And every you know, it's all comic book artists and other illustrators and stuff. And people just come by and hang out and beers and snacks and stuff and um it's because i feel like the comic book world is such an antisocial activity it's so hard to find other people doing it mm-hmm. as opposed to music where you just you know playing open mics and stuff you meet all these other musicians and songwriters um so yeah every wednesday night i have these gatherings and uh, i never know who's going to show up and um yeah we all hang out and draw and it's Oh, that's and, cool! And you see what party partying like a comic artist. That's you get to see what it actually looks like.
0: <laughs> Whole lot of pretzels get eaten, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what's next? We'll we'll wrap this up. Thanks for having us. But what's what's uh, what what's on the deck for you?
2: I'm um, trying to finish this comic. This is uh, my comic book. will number issue number eleven. Um, I hope I can get this done. Is this Fuff? Yeah. This this will be Fuff issue number eleven.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. And why did you change the name from Guff to Fuff?
2: Somebody told me there was already a comic called Guff. Before this series, I had been doing comics with very long titles, where the the title of the comic would be like this long kind of run-on sentence. And then when I started this series, uh, I wanted to have something that was just a one-syllable title. So I picked Guff, and then after I did a few issues as Guff, somebody told me there was already a comic called Guff, so I just changed it to Fuff, because I really didn't care what... The syllable was as long right. as it was one syllable. And now I feel kind of stuck with this stupid <laughs> nonsense syllable that's not even a very attractive nonsense syllable, but maybe someday I'll change Attractive like buff? Yeah. Muff. I, yeah, right. There's there so many go. better options. I should have called it. Well, something. Pro- <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's that's my main priority right now. I'm trying to book this, uh, this Europe tour for May, which I'm failing at booking currently because I waited too long. Um, yeah. And uh
0: i've got
2: some uh yeah i've got some other tour stuff happening oh you know we didn't even talk about
0: your lo-fi films which are really fascinating
2: yeah this is why i have a hard time building a website because there's too many i'm like well wait but then i gotta have this page about this stuff and then i gotta because i'm uh yeah i'm just a a putter with all this different stuff that doesn't really form into one easy thing
0: they're really educational your lo-fi films
2: yeah, some of them are uh, are decently educational. I just did a new one of those this year, too, uh, in early January. A new illustrated song that is the adventure of um, a number of the adventure characters in my previous illustrated songs, such as the Creeping Brain and Champion Jim and uh, other characters like that that had appeared in these illustrated songs before. I decided to do a story with all of them, joining together to uh, have an adventure together just as a fun
0: quirky crossover. But then a lot
2: of the other ones are, uh, yeah, there's historical ones that I've done also. Yeah,
0: the historical ones. What was the one with uh, China?
2: I did a history of communism in China. Right, yeah. But I've also done, I have a lot of history of communism chapters of my illustrated songs. And I've gotten to perform almost all of them in the target countries. So I've performed my history of communism in Korea in Korea. I've I've performed my history of communism in China in China. I've done my ones about the Soviet Union in the former Soviet Union in Russia. And as of this past August, I got to do my Communism in Vietnam chapter in Vietnam. Wow. Uh, I've done my story about the French Revolution. I've performed that in France. And I've done, um, you know, a, a lot, the only one, I've never performed in Cuba. So, I have a piece about the Cuban Missile Crisis. It would be great if I could perform that in well, Cuba. Well, Obama
0: just opened the borders fairly recently. Yeah, so. so hopefully, someday, that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Those are very educational and very cool. And, uh, Thanks for having us here.
2: Hey, thanks for putting this all together.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't know if we got an answer to the first question, which is how you meet these beautiful quirky artsy women. They just come I to I your... gave an
1: answer. I think, they yeah, just... I think we got an answer. They... I'm satisfied with that answer. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, they
0: have to come to your shows, is that Yeah. You...
2: Yeah, they got to pay money to come see you.
0: <laughs> That's the best way to meet a woman, have them pay to see you.
2: Yeah, well certainly uh, I never got anywhere with OK Cupid.
0: Did you try that?
2: Oh yeah, it was very depressing all online dating. I'm just so bad at that stuff. I went on mm-hmm. so many depressing dates. I'm just I'm just terrible in that. So or just going to this place trying to meet people at parties or something. Ugh, it's awful. It's mm-hmm. so it always seems so easy when you're in a relationship. It's like, "Oh, that wasn't hard. Of course somebody likes me and now we're together." So if I'm single, it'll be no problem again. And then, you know, and then then it's like you go through hell all over again. Mm-hmm.
0: When you were internet dating, did they know who you were, or are they just like, oh, it's just another guy? Oh, who I am, who mm-hmm. I
2: am, just another guy. That, there's like this Do they I mean, know I w- your artwork? I there's like a- <laughs> a, Hell no! I mean, there's nobody that knows. It's not like, uh, yeah, I'm just there. There's a. There are certain people in the world who think that I'm known, but they don't realize how few they are. Um I'm like very, very unknown.
1: So yeah, it's. I think it's very it's, it's New York. So I feel like online dating. There's plenty of people making their careers with their art. Yeah, there already. Yeah, yeah,
2: they're just like, great, another anti-folk singer, comic book artist, right? illustrated <laughs> song maker who sings about communism
0: in Korea. <laughs> See, that was sarcasm. <laughs>
1: well, there is <are> some <laughs> truth to that. One.
0: Exactly. We're all, New York is a very humbling place, but uh, everyone's kind of doing their own work.
2: Well, I like that. I, You know, I like that there's that creative energy. Still, there's still some of it. It's not completely, uh, you know,
0: expunged. Mm-hmm. Thanks for talking to us. We've learned a lot and we've learned nothing.
1: Yeah.
0: So very philosophical.
1: <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long.